0: Well, good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, My name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary. And we are invited today to begin to learn more of what it means to live free. We know that uh, through the last series, we've looked into how we're set free. And now it's, okay, Romans 1 through 11, you're set free. Now, Romans 12 to 16, live free. So that's what we're heading into. What does that look like? What does that look like to live free? free. And uh, as we begin today, as we begin this whole series today, we're going to look at a huge question that I believe is, is found and answered in Romans 12, 1-2. So that's the passage that we'll be in, Romans 12, uh, 1-2, to and, and really what it looks like to live free to live God's will. So this big question, right, this huge question of life, how do I know the will of God? It's a question that many People ask and struggle to answer, and, and you know, this question's asked at, at different times in life. Maybe it's asked uh, at those, uh, and maybe depending on where you're at, but it's asked in those beginning seasons of life where one is trying to figure out, you know, what is my life going to be about? What am I going to do when I grow up? You know, who am I going to spend my life with? What uh you know, how am I going to spend my days? What is this life for? And we're like, God, what is your will for that? But then there's also those moments where we're asking this question about maybe a decision that we're looking to make, right? Like, should I buy this house or not? Should I confront this friend about this thing or not? You know, how do I handle this situation, God? We have these, these moments in life where we're looking, God, how do you want me to do this? What's your will for this decision, for this moment? That we want to know what is good, what is acceptable, what's perfect in his sight, and uh, really this big question, as we look at Romans 12, 1 to 2, which is our passage for today, just these two verses, uh, the very end of it, the last phrase of this, uh, as you'll see up here, it says, so that, so everything that will be talked about in the beginning is so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, Okay, so everything that's going to come before this is so that you may prove what the will of God is. So you're wondering, God, what is your will? What is this all about? What am I supposed to do? Like, what's going on here? Well, here here it shows us so that you may prove what the will of God is. So I'll have a, a little journey for us through the, the rest of this passage, which I really hope uh, maybe you've... Thought about this sort of question, and maybe you even have some opinions of how God's will is found, or even you know what's the whole deal with God's will, anyways. And I think that you'll have some uh, some good direction when it comes to this today. I mean, we have a, a few ways that we can sort of find God's will, as we find in this this passage. Now, the first, and hopefully, got your notes, and you can pull them out and you can follow along in here if you if you'd like. But God's will is found. In his gracious mercies. Now, here's what I mean by that. As we've got uh, the very beginning now of Romans 12.1. It starts with this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So, Paul says, therefore, I urge you by God's mercies. Now, what we're going to see here is, is God's mercies. As is, is, I think everything that it talks about here when it says God's mercies is taking us back. Now, one of those things that you want to, want to do when you're reading the Bible, maybe you know this, but even if there's one that doesn't know this, I want to say it anyway, but when you see the word therefore, right, you always want to ask yourself, what's the therefore? therefore. Okay? So what? why is this word there? What's it referring to? What's the therefore referring back to? So for us, we see, therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you to do something. So looking back, therefore, uh, even let's just first grab your Bible and just look back a teeny bit to 1133, just the four verses just prior to when it says the word therefore. It says, Because God is unknowable and he knows more than you could ever know, basically, right? God is unfathomable. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, by his mercies. And I think that these mercies even take us back all the way just through our whole uh, set free series. Romans 1 through 11, therefore, because of Romans 1 through 11 and everything you've learned through Romans 1 through 11, what is the gospel of God that what is salvation? How how are we justified before God that we are people in sin and that we are deserving of God's wrath? Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right, that God loved us that much that sent His Son Jesus to die for us, and now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we have been justified. That Christ did uh, was that substitute for us of the wrath that we deserved, and that the Spirit of God is there for us to to help us to learn is like what it means to walk through this life. Then, and like even then, that we've been set free as a as a free gift that you don't do anything to earn it. So all of that, all of how you've been set free, he says, therefore, okay? Therefore, everything that we're going to even do in this whole series of live free is because we've been set free, all right? All of that is because we've been set free. And it's it's kind of like, even as we think of this passage, it's, Like a bird, okay? A pretty awesome bird (laughs) that is flying free, that soars over the heavens, that we've been set free out of our our cages, right, by God. That we are no longer in these cages, but we are now set free to live and to soar and fly through this life. But we also know that this bird, as awesome and kind of intense as it looks, right, is this bird is going to fly through some storms, That this bird is going to set up a nest, live a a life, right? That this bird is probably going to have maybe some battles with some other predatory birds. That life has some challenges out there when it comes to living free. Yeah, we've been set free, that work has been done, but living free has still got some challenges to it. But I think for us, when we think of being set free and living free, even with this little analogy of the bird... I think we should think of ourselves more as like a a trained bird, okay, where we've been set free and we can fly free, but we have these moments, right, that hopefully many of them that we are still connected to our master, Right? We come back when the, the voice of the master is, is calling out to us, you know, that we, we can return, we receive instruction from our master. So in that way, kind of this analogy is we are set free and we're living free. We're returning, we're, we're wanting to receive. And I think what these um, passages, even in Romans 12 to 16, are for us are these instructions from our master of how to actually live free. And this is really what I would say is a, a reactive passage, okay? We're reacting to something in this passage. Therefore, you know, because of this, I want you to do this, okay? That's what he's saying. Because of all that's happened, by the mercies of God, I'm urging you towards something. So we aren't set free because we do these things, but we do these things because we're set free. Okay? We we live this out because of how we're set free by God. And I think as we recognize, we want to find God's will, we recognize that God's will is only found through the system that he has created for us, that he has set us free, that he has done this work. And so we are going to live out out of that state of being set free by him. And so then we continue. What's what's the next part? That uh, God's will is found through surrendering your life to him. As you just see the second half of verse one, it says, what is he urging you, right? Therefore, I urge you to what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual s- service of worship. So that's what we are to do, okay? What God, what He's Paul, God through Paul is urging us to do is to present our bodies as this living sacrifice. Now, a living sacrifice is an interesting thing, okay? We are to be a living sacrifice. Now, what you gotta do is you gotta put yourself back into the minds of the Romans who are receiving this word, okay? Because the Romans, and especially these Jewish Roman believers that are, that are living there, they understand sacrifice. Okay, they either have an image of temple worship back in Jerusalem where sacrifices of animals are taking place every day and that different seasons are really taking place a lot, that there is a lot of killing of animals going on. And even there in Rome, they've got these Greek and Roman gods who they're sacrificing animals to. Now, we have this sort of view of, right, sacrifice, like, oh, you know, just kind of, give up a little bit and try a little harder, right? That's kind of what we think of as sacrifice. But with sacrifice, there's always a death involved, okay? And they know it. They know that sacrifice has a death. And so when, when uh, they read these words, you are to be a living sacrifice. Like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. You know, like, Living sacrifice, those words aren't supposed to go together. So I want us to get in that mindset, right? Where living sacrifice shouldn't make sense at the surface for us. And to remember that. That's how they would be reading this. That, how do I, you know, wait, how do I live and be a sacrifice? And so for us, there is. There's still, for them and for us, still a death involved. A dying to the old self. Okay? We are dead to sin and alive in Christ As we've already learned in Romans 6, right? There is this death to our former way. And we are now alive and living something different. And every day as we live this life, we are a a sacrifice of worship to God. And... So when we think of this whole even God's will thing, you know, we want to know the will of God in these decisions that we make. So what do we do? We try and figure it out. Like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna like think a lot, I'm gonna like I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna question, I'm gonna doubt, I'm gonna struggle, I'm trying to figure out what, what is God's will for this decision. And I think that there's a sense that God's saying, stop trying to figure it out so much. Stop trying to figure out what the my will is in this thing. But maybe start thinking about more the person who I'm forming you to be. Be that kind of person that would make decisions according to the will of God. And then just make decisions. Okay? Live your life. Your living sacrifice life. Growing closer and closer to God. Being that, that life that is, is dying to the old self. Dying to sin. Being alive in him. And as you're living that out... You're becoming the kind of person who makes decisions according to the will of God. And you know, the thing is, is that living sacrifice process of of getting there, it's a messy, bloody process. Sacrifice is a messy, bloody thing. And so, kind of like the bird that's still flying through this world that is free, but is, you know, is still flying through storms and all of that, that this process of becoming that is messy. It is bloody. And there's a death involved to a lot of yourself that maybe that you're still kind of holding on to. And the thing is, when you're, when you're lost, when you're still lost, when you're still confused, I love being able to refer back, even right here in the same book, to Romans 8. I just turned back a page in my Bible. Romans 8:26, and it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, With groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know what to do, we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to say, we say, Holy Spirit of God, ah, groan, you know, and he groans for us. And God can't pray against the will of God, right? The Spirit prays according to the will of God for you to the Father. And so then we, we cry out to Him. And we ask Him, Lord, help me, help me in this. And then God says, this is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, this, this living sacrifice thing, this is your worship. Your act of worship is from being this, having this kind of life. And we think about, you know, for us today, what is worship, right? What does it mean to worship? Is it singing these songs? Is it attending this worship service? Is it how we live outside of these walls? Is it when we have our own sort of private devotional life on our own? Is it when we gather with some friends and we talk about our spiritual life and pray for each other? What is worship? And I'd say the answer to all that is yes, right? Like all of that. All of that is worship, but for them, what's really interesting, for them, worship wasn't singing songs. I mean, there's, there's singing of songs in their culture, but worship was sacrifice, right? Worship was killing animals. Okay. That's like a big part of what worship was for them. And so Paul here is redefining the act of worship for these Jewish believers. Okay. He's saying, Hey, worship now is different. What you thought was the temple was the sacred space, right? The temple was the sacred space and the killing of animals was the sacrifice. But I'm changing it. God has changed this, he says, because now we are the sacred space. We are that temple and our lives are the sacrifice. Okay. So everything's sort of flipped and you got to figure out they're hearing this probably really for the first time, like, whoa, what? You know, the killing of animals is no longer um, the sacrifice, but my life is to be that sacrifice. So everything's changing. And really what it's doing is that everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. There's no longer this divide of things that aren't spiritual and things that are spiritual, okay? Because every decision that you make has a spiritual effect. Your life is that You know, that sacrifice, your body is that temple. So as you live this life, as you're going from day to day, all of that is spiritual. What you do right now is sacred and spiritual. What you do when you walk out the doors, that is spiritual. What you do when you get in your car and you drive, that's spiritual. When you eat lunch, when you go home and decide to take a nap or do your chores or whatever, all of that, all of it matters. Everything that you do in this life Matters. There's not just, hey, there's this stuff that's sort of churchy, you know, and then this stuff that's like, ah, I kind of, I, I don't really need to worry about God when I think about those parts of it. It's all a sacrifice. It's all part of you becoming more and more of that holy and living sacrifice to God. Uh, there's a quote I want to read to you by Francis Chan in his book Forgotten God, which is about, uh, or, or mostly about the Holy Spirit of God and his work in our life. And he says, I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to his Spirit's leading today in this moment than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. It's easy to use the phrase God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safer to commit to following him someday instead of this day. So remember, everything you do matters. And everything you're doing now, even the most mundane things, is affecting the way that you're able to make decisions, really, according to the will of God, in your future. So God's will, found through surrendering your life to Him. And then the third one that's found in the the first half of verse 2. Okay, we have that God's will, I believe, is found by growing into this Christ-like person. Because He said, okay, so therefore I urge you, right, to present your bodies. And now, how do you do, kind of, what's more of how do you do this whole living sacrifice thing? It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this sense of growing into this more Christ-like person is this, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so how do we do this? Like, how do we grow into this? Is, it's, a, it's a tough question, really. But there's a couple aspects to this, this growth. That some parts of how we grow are we have active initiating kind of roles, And there's some that are maybe seemingly more passive, but they're more receiving roles, okay? We're receiving from God. That that whole thing of God does the work of the growth, right? I I think that's always, for me, is like a really hard thing to truly understand. Like, how does that work? What do you mean, how do I let God do the work? Like, don't I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that says you know, that has things for me to do. And I want to do those things. I want to be responsible. I want to uh, be able to live that kind of life. And so, yes, we want to have that. But then there's this part of it that's about God really doing that. We are to be transformed, not transform ourselves. And so what does that look like? So I want us to, to dig into that a little bit. Now, a big part of this, when you would say, if we're receiving, a big question is, What are we receiving, right? Who are we receiving from? Because we're going to receive from somebody or something. We're going to be opening ourselves to receiving. And that's why it's like, don't conform to this world. Are you receiving from the world or are you being transformed by God? Like, what are you receiving from? And so I want us to look at this, this whole thing of do not be conformed to this world. And I I want to illustrate this for us a little bit with a story there were, um, you know, many of us went to Israel uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, a great experience of, of learning about the land and learning more about how these, you know, where and how all of these stories took place. But something else that you learn is really about kind of how their world worked and just understanding the, the culture of the biblical times. And I want to like, highlight part of this, I think, that will help us, and we'll watch a video in a moment. But as, as we think about don't be conformed to this world, as he's writing this to these people in Rome, we have to remember that Rome rules the world, okay? Rome was everywhere. Rome had occupied the majority of the known world at that time. And uh, even in Israel, when you're thinking about people in Israel and the people even in the time of Jesus that he was ministering to, uh, mostly around the Sea of Galilee, mostly even around the north side of the Sea of Galilee, the way life was in some of these towns like Capernaum and uh, uh, Bethsaida and Chorazin, these sorts of towns, that life was simple, okay? Life was very, very simple. It was about your work of fishing or, or caring for uh, your crops. And then it was about family, very small villages where they would just live amongst being very known, this word of insula or community, family, being very known by all the people that are part of your little town, that, that, uh, the studying of the Torah was central to your life, going to, to synagogue worship, but throughout every day, um, as kids are growing up, memorizing the Torah, being, you know, learning more about what that looks like and, Uh, Even in the evenings, just very simple, just the family gathered together sharing stories and eating their food together. And uh, when it gets dark, I'm assuming going to bed probably pretty early even. You know, these just a very simple sort of life. And then Rome comes in, occupies this land, and begins to build these towns. And there's these cities that we call the, the, the Decapolis, and there's these Roman cities in the midst of this Jewish world. And they're very, very different. And so um, there's, there's a town called uh, Beit Sheon, which the Romans called Scythopolis. Now, I want you to kind of get yourself into the mindset of being a teenage boy or girl. And you've lived your whole life in Capernaum, on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, in this simple sort of fishing village, and that life that I've described... And then you need to go and walk down to Jerusalem for a feast. And you walk by this town, Beit Sheon. And what would your experience of that be? Now, we asked our people on the trip to put themselves in that mindset as we walked up towards Beit Sheon. Now, in a very unscripted sort of moment, here's their reaction to seeing it. Let's go ahead and watch this video. Oh, is this Scatopolis? Yeah. Ah, I knew it. Wow. Theater, gymnasium, arena, running water. This is (laughs) it. This is it. Oh, Wow. Wow. Looking at the oh, wow. This is it. This is Skipolis as it's also called. It has a theater, running water, you know, stores for shopping, uh, you know, these sorts of things, all these enticements and and allures. Uh, these uh, kind of this, remember the steam bath at Masada you know the, the bathhouse and all that it has uh, toilets with running water and uh, it's pretty incredible what you'll, what you'll see it's still pretty different than what we'd be used to but uh, what you have here is these people that live that, that simple life that's what I wanted you to get in that mindset the simple life of family, community God as those core values of your way of living but in has come Rome and has said, hey, we offer for you something that we would say is better. We offer you something, you know, that, you know, when the scriptures talk about being lured and enticed away from God, this is something that would have lured and enticed those people away from God to entertainment, to um, comfort, to, uh, you know, just a big party, right? Rather than... Family, well, or, or Orange County. <laughs> That's really what I'd want to say even more. But yes, Las Vegas. And uh, but we we live in Bajan, right? That's where we live at home. We we live in that that land. And so the the draw of compromise for us away from community, God, family is very real. And I think that this is a a, a very similar. Enticement and temptation for us of what this place has to offer. So it might seem even strange to you to think, oh, wow, it's a it's a town, and you might even just look at that and just like, oh, wow, rocks and stuff. I don't <laughs> I don't know what I'm seeing. Uh, but this place was it is like us, so it's hard to realize that it's so different. But it is a place that offers entertainment, sports. You know, running water, shopping, these things don't take place in the normal life for the person that lives in that small village on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. These creature comforts, based almost even technology, for them, that was don't be conformed to that world, okay? That's what they're saying. Don't be conformed. And the Roman people are living in the heart of all of that. You know, the, the Colosseum is right there. And everything, all of these enticements of the world were present for them. And, and that's not what life is supposed to be like. Life was supposed to be the study of the Torah, sharing of that in community and family, you know, this simpler life. And God says, don't be conformed to all of that. And so I want to encourage us, what's, what we are more like are like the, these people, the Romans. We live in Rome. We're in the heart of it here in Orange County. And so you might not even realize the ways that you have already conformed, right? That we have conformed to this world. And God says, don't, I want you to not conform to this world, but be transformed to a life that is more about the scriptures, God, Family, community, all of these things. And it's interesting when you consider not being conformed to the world. A lot of times we, like I said, we don't even realize it. But God is pulling us. He's wanting to pull us out of that. It's kind of like the beggar girl who marries the prince. Now she's a princess. But she still goes out and eats from the trash piles at night. Because that's the life that she's used to. That's the kind of Those are the kind of decisions that we make. There's even a Biola professor that shared he adopted some kids from Cambodia and he brought them home and they didn't really understand what that meant to be adopted because whenever they would go to leave the house just to go, let's say, out to dinner or to go do something, they would start packing up all their stuff and trying to take it with them. They didn't realize what it meant to be adopted. You know, that you are new. Don't be conformed to this old way of thinking that God has adopted you into a new way. And we're so drawn and lured by these silly things. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That God has said, you know, you are you are just being you know, conformed to this world. I have so much more to offer you and you don't even realize it. So he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed by God. I want to transform you. I want to change you. God is going to do that work. This is a a receiving. This is a reaction again. We're reacting to something that God is already, excuse me, doing in us. And it's really hard for us a lot of times, I think, to to understand how to react. And I, I think an interesting analogy with this is when it comes to this thing of reacting and how do we do this, it's it's kind of like skydiving, okay? Skydiving is an incredible thing. I highly recommend it to everyone. It's, it's, it's almost magical. It's this incredible experience. And, uh, you know, you could die, so that's like also a little side note, you know, but it's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, when you go skydiving, you have to be flown up in an airplane and then you have to jump out and then you're just reacting. Now, when we think we can do the transforming work in ourselves, when we think that we can, okay, I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna transform myself. It's kind of like me standing right here and just being, okay, I wanna skydiving is awesome. I'm gonna skydive and just sort of, I'm not really willing to do the full jump, but you know, just jump down and be like, woo, skydiving. You know, I'm doing the same things, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of reacting. I'm, I'm arching my back the way you're supposed to or whatever. Like, uh, look, look at guys, I'm skydiving. You know, that's silly and absurd, right? Well, that's kind of how it is when we think that we're gonna transform ourselves. That we're like going skydiving without an airplane. Because there's a power that comes from God that we can't provide. That God, we you know, we're skydiving. We can't just do this ourselves. We can't fly. We can't get up there. That an airplane has that power to take us up there. But God has the power, you know, to, to get us there. And we are simply moving and reacting in, you know, in light of the, the big movement that he is doing in us. We are being transformed. We aren't transforming ourselves. So we got to kind of get ourselves in that mode. Our efforts look like flapping around and flailing when we try to skydive without an airplane. And so, what does that mean then? How do we be transformed by God? What is our role? It says, "By," he gives us even more specifics. Right? By the renewing of your mind. This is how you are transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Now, even this word mind in the Greek, it's not just our brains, okay? It's a little different than thinking of just our mind as our brains. That mind, it's really this, it says practical reason. You know, our moral consciousness, or I love it, it's even our own will. The renewing of our will, That we are, you know, our desires, everything that we want our life to be about, for that to be renewed. Our reason, our consciousness of our morality, all of that, it needs to be renewed. If we want to be people that can find God's will, you know, make decisions according to God's will, our will has to be renewed by God. So it's it's not just about us finding God's will, but it's about us being changed. And interestingly enough, the renewing of the mind, that thought, was actually something that these people, like the the Roman people with uh, uh, the Hellenistic of Greek way of thinking, was really like something that they would do regularly. Kind of a process of opening up yourself to a new way of thinking. Being open to new teaching and new learning and renewing your mind for that. Now, a lot of times we would think of, there's there's sort of a good sense of that and a a dangerous sense of that. And so I want to be clear. Like, you know, we don't just like open our mind to like whatever we're going to receive. You know, we don't just have this sort of loose, free way of just accepting everything. That's not what I'm talking about here or what God's talking about here. But there was this sense of, hey guys, you don't have it all figured out, Romans. Your mind needs to be renewed. You're thinking like the world. You're thinking like your culture. I need you to think like, me. I need you to think according to the scriptures, according to the ways that I'm showing you how to think. I'm showing you how to have your will shaped and your reason and your moral consciousness shaped, not just by everything you're consuming from your culture, but this opening up a new way of thinking for you. And it's, you know, I, I think this is something that is really lost in our current society. You even have things where, uh, like at college campuses right now, there's like where people have been scheduled to give the commencement speeches, like Condoleezza Rice was scheduled to give the commencement address at the college, and then the student body was all angry because of her role in the invasion of Iraq over 10 years ago, and so then she's like can't speak anymore, because we can't possibly hear from someone that has an opinion we disagree with, right? And and so we get upset about that, but we also have to remember that that's very much the way we think about people that have a different <laughs> viewpoint of the way we think, right? And I, I kind of term it sometimes as like MSNBC guy versus Fox News guy, okay? And there's, you know, they're, they both are against each other, but they both only listen to their the other people that are in their camp, you know? Like, I don't want to listen to anybody else in my camp. Now, I'm not saying which side is right or wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch those things or what your political point of view is with that. But there's this sense where civil discourse is dead, right? Like opening ourselves to these kind of listening and learning. We kind of think that everything we think is right and could never be wrong. And so like where there's a lot of things that one side or the other can learn from each other. Now, obviously, again, as I said at the beginning, this isn't just opening yourself up to whatever and that we believe that there are certain doctrines that are for sure and no matter what, right? Uh, But there's a sense where God is what he's doing in them is saying, hey, look, you don't have it all figured out yet, okay? You're probably affected by what you've been consuming from your culture. And you're probably affected Whether you watch MSNBC or you watch Fox, okay, you're affected in good and bad ways and a lot of bad ways by both. I kind of want to condemn both, okay? And so that's where we are more affected by that which we consume in our culture than what God is trying to put into us. And we just adopt certain human points of view, lock, stock, and barrel, instead of saying, God, renew my mind into what you would have me be, the kind of person that you would have me be. That's how I want to be. And so what does the scripture then really say about some of this when it comes to renewing your mind? Uh, just to go through a few of these passages, they'll just be here on the screen, Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That there's this sense of indulging the desires of our mind is similar to indulging the desires of our flesh. That our mind needs to be renewed. And in Ephesians 4, a couple chapters later, he talks about this a little bit more. He says, you didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there is these lusts of deceit that we have in our mind that God wants to renew in us. And then Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping. So Paul really cares about what he's saying here. That they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite And whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So when we make our appetite our God, that's when we're setting our mind on the things that, you know, God doesn't want us to. Okay? The earthly things. And then the next chapter, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things... So, you know, I even encourage you, we don't have time to really just dig into what each of those words mean now, but I encourage you to look into that. What does that mean to dwell on what's right, pure, lovely, all of that, you know? That's how you have a renewed mind. And then, finally, Colossians 3. And this is one I encourage you like read the whole chapter of Colossians 3 for this. Very helpful. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And he goes on, like just little things throughout Colossians 3 that that I want you to read. I want you to check out. He's like, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Don't lie to each other. That's all old self stuff. You know, but he says things like put on... Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's that renewed mind, okay? That's like we're, what we're trying to get towards. But this is all a long work. The Spirit is doing this work in us. James Houston said the slowest moving thing in the universe is Christian growth, okay? <laughs> that this is a, a messy, bloody process, okay? That this takes... This takes time. That God is refining us. That we're, we're spending time in, you know, with God, listening, reading, in community, being intentional about this, kind of slowing down, time with family. These sorts of things, are. that's what's going to help us to have our mind be renewed. And so if we want to know God's will, we want to know what God's will is in our life, in those decisions that we need to make, it is not just about... Finding, um, you know, even that X on the treasure map. Okay, God, where's the X? Show me the X on the treasure map. I want to know Your will. Where is it? You know, it's about what kind of person are you becoming? Are you becoming a godly kind of person? Then that person will make decisions that are according to the will of God. That's how you can find God's will. And so, I want us just to have a little chance to to respond to this. And I want you to consider your life, right? Consider your life. I'd love for you to pull out your notes. Hopefully you got them. There's a little cloud chart on the back. But to consider your life as this act of worship, this living sacrifice. And so if worship of God is at the center of your life, how can every part of your life then be lived out like that living sacrifice, and so I want to just give you a, a moment of time, even right here and now, okay, to, to grab that if you don't have the notes. I mean, you could grab the little envelope or the card and a piece of, paper, you know, and a pen, and you can kind of jot some notes on there for yourself if you'd like, that you can just see this chart up here. And, you know, I, I just put even, we've got worship at the center here, and it's, it's then, you know, how do I treat my kids? How do I love my wife? How I spend my money? How much I pursue... Uh, you know, community over the comfort of isolation. For me, it's easy to be by myself. How I consume entertainment. How I argue on Facebook. How I lead the people I work with. How I care for the lost and needy in my community. You know, those are how my life is a living sacrifice. And really then praying through those things. It's easy to write them down, but praying through them. God, help, like, transform these areas of my life. And pray through that. So we're just going to give you a minute now just to start writing. And then we're going to begin to sing and worship in a moment. Just take that minute, go ahead now, and do it. And so as you, you know, can continue to write and continue to reflect on those things, we're going to spend some time now in worship through singing. One form of worship. Remembering that every moment of our life is a living sacrifice to God. So I really would just love for you to continue that process of of praying through and writing those things down. Maybe you're doing that now. Maybe you do that this afternoon or tomorrow morning, even as you read through Colossians 3 and Philippians 4 as they guide you towards some thoughts of what that really looks like in your life to be a living sacrifice that we're being transformed by God. So let's worship him through singing now. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the transforming work that you are doing in our lives. I pray that you would renew our minds through the work of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us as we seek to be responsible and and doing our part as we long for you to do that transforming work in us. Show us, God, please, those areas of our life where we uh, need to be renewed, that we need to open ourselves to a way of thinking that's according to your word and your ways, God. We pray that in Jesus' name.